and you know, as a Christian, I'm there at the helm. I could take the boat in any direction I want, change the direction of my life if I want to, but Jesus is there just out of my line of sight, gently saying, you know, Jerry, there are shoal waters to port, a bit more to starboard. Uh, and if I can listen and plug into him, then I will stay off the rocks and uh, head in the right direction. Well, welcome everybody. My name's Simon Gilbo and this is Inspired. And this week I'm very excited to have my good friend with me, Jerry Marshall. Welcome, Jerry. Hi, great to be here. So Jerry and I go back about 20 years. We met through the New Wine Network. He retired but found retirement too boring. And so he's recently taken on the leadership of Transformational Enterprise Network. And uh, even this last summer, uh, he very kindly let me loose on his canal boat without much training and that was <laughs> one of my highlights of experience of the summer was going to this massive lot and clanging around and the kids completely freaking out seeing daddy utterly out of control luckily thinking, it's solid steel and, and there's not much that can go wrong so uh, yeah you're not the only person that's borrowed it it's lovely to be able to share uh, it my, well honestly it does go down as a, as, a, as a summer highlight anyway that was just a reflection of, uh, of your generosity in general and you are I don't know how to describe you you're sort of Serial kingdom entrepreneur, and there's, Something a whole, like that. there's a whole lot in that, uh, which we'll come to. So anyway, Jerry, let's get into it. Welcome, and um, yeah, so go back. You, you had an unusual childhood, didn't you? Well, I suppose so. Of course, it seemed perfectly normal at the time, but um, yeah, I was born in Kuwait. Um, my dad, I think, got a taste of the Middle East in the war, protecting the Persian oil fields, and my mum came out for a bit of adventure, I think, as a medical secretary, and they met, got married, had three kids, spent 20 years there. Um, and for a kid, it was great. Um, uh, unspoilt beaches, you know, late night barbecues, swimming after dark, um, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, and very cross-cultural. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of impact through that. Then I was sent off to boarding school at eight. And again, that seemed completely normal to fly off to school right. and uh, come back in the holidays. That's what everyone else did mm -hmm. um, that I knew. Uh, and then we moved back to England when I was 13. You know, parents concerned about my uh, our education, myself and my uh, two sisters. Sure. Any defining experiences from those early years? Um, school, I guess, is probably where I learned that I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, so um, there was a craze on pet rats at school, you know, uh, as, as you'd imagine. Uh, I was probably about 12 and I had a couple of rats. I named one Fiona after this girl that I fancied, thinking that that would be a great move, you know, that, that somehow she'd be touched, that I'd name my favourite rat after her. But it's... Uh, it, it, didn't you know, it didn't work. I know, I know that may sound surprising to you, Simon. It's, yeah. it's very... Anyway, getting my head around the female psyche. Um, so, um, yeah, but that provided a market opportunity because people weren't organised to have rat food for the whole term. And so some of these poor rats were starving. And uh, I managed to persuade uh, a tame teacher to buy rat food in bulk. And then I um, borrowed plastic cups from the dining hall and uh, sold them at five pence a cup, which is a 100% margin. And mm. it, was, it was a nice little business. Um, and, you know, gradually uh, in my teenage years, I realised that what I wanted to do was to follow in the footsteps of my uncle, who'd started a business um, and um, sold it and became very wealthy and moved to Malta for tax reasons. And I thought, that's it. I want to become fabulously wealthy. That's my life plan. Mm-hmm. The other really important defining moment was uh, I was in the bottom stream at one point and I can remember crying because I was last in the form. Basically, I wasn't actually doing much work, I think, but I don't think I realised that. 
and then um, I, I had this crazy idea that uh, in order to be a fabulously wealthy entrepreneur, I needed to go to Cambridge to do economics. So I started to get up an hour earlier than anyone else and actually work on it. And I did get it. It was probably a bad year for, for the college I went to or something. But anyway, I did manage to scrape into Cambridge, have a brilliant time. Uh, got slightly distracted by development economics. Uh, got, got really interested in that, even though that was not part of the life plan. Uh, but that was... Um, that was a defining experience. Uh, Just I guess. to say, Jerry, I'm listening. And I'm thinking. I so want my boys to listen to this podcast because their dream, age 12, 15, right now, is is pretty much stated to be fabulously wealthy as well. And yet they they are not um, of the types to get up an hour early to try to get into Cambridge. They are <laughs> serious slackers. So I'll get them onto this podcast. Life goals. That's the lesson. Right. Life goals are important. Mm, carry on. <laughs> Um, so in, in view of the life plan, I uh, joined, uh, actually got a well-paid job with a fast-growing um, high-tech engineering company in a place called Coventry, mm -hmm. which was way further north than I'd ever been before. Um, and um, so I thought, I'll learn the ropes, then I can set up my own business. The only thing was that I didn't know anyone in Coventry and everyone in the engineering company seemed quite old, you know, in their 40s or higher, which was pretty old, I thought, mm -hmm. at the time. Um, so I discovered that there was a church next to Warwick University that had lots of students. And I thought, here's the cunning plan. It, it's an Anglican church, so obviously it'd be very boring, but they have coffee after the service and I could chat up some nice girls from Warwick University. And was this uh, literally your first experience of Christendom? No, I'd, I'd, I'd been to church as a kid. I'd never been voluntarily as an adult. Um, right. So it was the first time I'd been to, you know, to church as an adult. My mm -hmm. younger sister had become a Christian in uh, a kind of gap year in Peshawar, and she was praying for me. So mm -hmm. there was stuff happening in the background. Uh, and someone had read uh, Crossing the Switchblade and yeah. um, God Smuggler. Brother Andrew, who I later yeah. met in, in Bethlehem, amazing guy. And that had planted some seeds that I couldn't quite get rid of. So, you know, encouragement for those that think that the seeds they're planting have no impact. Um, so I went into Westwood Church um, and um, was surprised to be warmly welcomed. And even more surprised to discover that, you know, people actually thought that God answered prayers. Mm. I thought, well, that's pretty weird. There was this guy, lovely guy, who'd just been made redundant, you know, wife, mortgage, three kids, and yet he was at peace about it because God was going to provide the next thing. So that's really weird. So um, someone said you should read John's Gospel. Um, so I did. And I think what came over reading that for the first time as an adult was that this was an eyewitness account because, because you know, the women came out so well in a very patriarchal kind of society, because the disciples look such idiots, you know, why would you mm -hmm. include that if you'd made it up? Mm -hmm. And especially because, you know, there are these, these guys who were frightened to heck when Jesus is arrested. And then a few weeks later, they totally changed. You know, they were willing to die in sometimes in pretty horrible ways to defend this message mm -hmm. that Jesus had risen from the dead. And I thought, what had they seen? What could they have seen that makes that much change? And so it began to fall into place. And um, so February 1980, a few months after starting this first job, I, I prayed the prayer, I committed myself to Jesus. And, and I think I knew that that was going to have a big impact. Um, that wasn't just a <laughs> temporary thing. 
And was it all, you know, was it a massive change overnight or were you already a pretty nice guy and there wasn't much of a discernible difference? <laughs> oh, I was a horrible guy, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a sneaky uh, kind of, uh, no, no, I don't think I was a good person. I know I was probably quite nice, but um, pretty loose morals. I wrote a book and my, my kids don't like uh, chapter two because it, it's so dodgy. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's the kind of traditional bit about how horrible I was before I became a Christian. Um, <laughs> but... Um, some things changed overnight, yeah. I, I think God had this kind of agenda, um, money, sex and power is the sort of summary that he needs to work through to change my life. And that the sex bit was was the first one, really. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, before I became a Christian, I <laughs> starting to ask questions said, OK, God, if you exist, um, if I become a Christian, do I have to stop sleeping with my girlfriend? Mm -hmm. And she was you know, the person that I thought was, you know, the one and all of that, even though I was looking for, you know, other female company. So that shows what kind of guy I was. Yeah. Um, anyway, I opened the Bible at random and put my finger on a verse because that's the only way I could think of of getting God's guidance. And it was on a verse in Corinthians that said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And it yeah. went on, probably the only bit that could really say, actually, you need to change. So... You were nailed. Uh, yeah, so, that, so we, that change happened. And then um, things started going a bit rocky in our relationship and, and I was part of a home group and I got them to pray about our relationship because mm -hmm. that's what you do just before I was going to see this girl one weekend. And so I knew I was okay because people were praying for it. I went to see her and she chucked me. I was, I was shocked. <laughs> Surely it shouldn't be that way around. And, yeah. uh, and I was really upset and I went back home and I knelt by my bed and I banged the bed with my fist and cried and so on. And, and I was quite angry with God, really, uh, that that he hadn't answered the prayer. <laughs> and yeah. thankfully, God, he's, he's okay with anger. Um, and, and of course, God had better plans, I think, for uh, for both of us. Um, that became apparent. That you'd end up meeting the, the lovely Sue. Um, maybe you'll share, do you want to share that story? Yeah, well, she was the Warwick University student uh, at Westwood, so that kind of plan works. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can remember someone preaching a sermon about, uh, really directed at men, marry someone with a stronger faith than you. And, and Sue had been a Christian since she was a, a young teenager. And I think the first memory I had was picking her up and throwing her into a ditch, uh, <laughs> as you do before a service. Um, anyway, uh, she came into my life. Uh, I, I took her across the channel with some other people. So she had the, the kind of sailing test. Uh, which he passed with flying colours, uh -huh. and, uh, and and there was a very clear guidance. Uh, in fact, we separated at one point. Uh, kind of long story, but uh, uh, I was praying if if Sue's the one that she would still be here after she graduated. She wouldn't leave Coventry, and she was going to go to Liverpool. But in the space of one week, she was turned down from Liverpool. Uh, she went to inquire about an MA at Warwick, and she was immediately offered a grant and a place. And then she asked about accommodation and someone immediately offered accommodation it just kind of all came together right. so and it's really encouraging to know she particularly when things are more of a struggle to know actually sue was the person that god mm -hmm. wanted me to to marry and um, uh 40 years next year so it's Brilliant. it's been a while to be yeah. celebrated yeah so you talk about money sex power we sort of covered the <laughs> sex give, give us the, the money what, what did you learn there I guess money was the big one, really, because I think money's a great thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a means of exchange. It's a store of value, terrific invention. Uh, and for most people, it's it's 
a valuable tool and that's it. But for some people, and I would have been in this number, it can become an addiction. Mm -hmm. And I think I was heading in that direction. Not just, it's, it's not so much money in itself, but it's what it was demonstrating. And particularly economics at Cambridge, there's a set of expectations on myself and uh, from other people and from myself mm -hmm. um, to follow a certain career trajectory. And, uh, and, and money was a way of uh, demonstrating my success. Uh, yeah. So um, I needed to escape from that. And I knew when I became a Christian, I'd have to give some money away. You know, that was the cost. And, and I kind of figured out that about £10 a month was the minimum I could just about <laughs> get away with. It's a bit um, tight. Well, absolutely, very tight. Um, and, and even then I was thinking, oh, gosh, £120, that's about the same as my sailing club subscription. You know, yeah. that's how I was comparing it. So God needs to work on that. And I, uh, I was a counsellor at a mission a few months after I became a Christian. Uh, and the preacher, Ian Knox, who was part of our church, great guy, was talking about giving and how tithing is, is just the starting point. You know, actually, if you just tithe, that, that isn't even giving. Giving is where, what happens after that. Mm. And I was very convicted by that. Uh, and then I, I had a possibility of a new job and I prayed if I get that job, then I'll have the salary rise that will enable me to increase it. And there was a kind of breakthrough, I suppose, maybe around 30, 40 pounds a month, where it went from being, this is really hard, to actually, it's exciting that I'm able to give more. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, God really had to break that hold that money had on me. Mm. Um, and that happened fairly quickly. Excellent. Um, yeah, just a few times in our lives, we felt the Lord say, give away, you know, a stack load that just didn't make sense. And, uh, mm. and yeah, I suppose our testimonies, I'm sure it's your testimony that the Lord, you know, you reap uh, what you sow and uh, never regretted it. And it's always boomerang back in abundance. And that is kingdom provision, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'd I, I sort of, struggle getting the balance with prosperity theology yeah. and, and all of that and, and mm. god's blessing isn't you know isn't that direct relationship but i have experienced that and actually much later on in the the story there was a time when you know we didn't have a lot of savings we had a bit um and someone phoned me up and said i urgently need 10 christians to give us 5k each because uh, this project i visited in cambodia that was working with people who'd come out of trafficking um, uh, women who'd been trafficked, um, uh, they're about to go bust, they need to go and sort them out, I need some immediate money to help, da, da, da. And I was thinking, oh, I was about to sell a bit, hoping to sell a business, and that had all gone pear-shaped. And I was thinking, oh, if only I'd been able to sell the business, I'd be able to do that. Yeah. And then I felt God say, well, well, actually, you know, you do have £5,000. It may be a fair chunk of your savings, but but why not? Um, and... Um, so I, I phoned this guy back and said, yeah, I could, I could help. He was asking me to recommend people who could help. Mm -hmm. And within a couple of weeks, my uh, business partner phoned up and said, we'd like to buy you out. And he came up with a generous deal and it was all done. And I really feel that there was a connection between the two, that God yeah. was testing me, you know, give before you have the money, yeah. uh, or at least the surplus, if you like, and he will bless that. 
Amen. Yeah, I'm gl- by the way, I'm glad you picked me up on uh, what I said because uh, it, it could have sort of uh, hinted at <laughs> prosperity doctrine. And I'm so not a believer in that, having sure. experienced it absolutely horrifically in Africa as people yeah. have manipulated the poor to... Oh, uh, yes, I've, to, I've seen to, that so, in Africa. We've all seen abuses, haven't we, on that level? Yeah, but it's a balance, isn't it? You know, you can easily yeah. have a kind of poverty mentality. And I think our kids at one stage had that. I've got three lovely, amazing daughters. Mm-hmm. And I think because we had very little money early on, that there's a little bit of poverty mentality in them and and it's easy to have that isn't it that somehow that's super spiritual but the blessings of the kingdom of god are amazing so you know getting that balance between not going in the wrong direction of of prosperity theology but also not of that kind of poverty mentality is is quite difficult yeah so you're uh, a growing disciple god's dealing with you in the area of sex money and now power what was the power sort of aspect I suppose for me that's really about a status that I hinted at before and this mm-hmm. kind of here is the career trajectory uh, that is expected of me um, and uh, I was made redundant twice in the first few years of my career <laughs> the first time was because I prayed Lord I'm a bit bored with this job you know I want something exciting to happen mm-hmm. and then I was made redundant I was like what <laughs> I didn't mean that exciting um, but I was you know given a reasonable offer and it was fine I got another job but the second time um, uh, we just Sue had just given birth to our first child and she'd given up work and we moved to a house with a new and excitingly large mortgage. And suddenly I was made redundant at one week's notice. Uh, the whole company was taken over. Uh, it was all a bit dodgy, in fact. And we had, not well, nothing really in terms of savings. Uh, the church were amazing. Someone put 400 pounds in cash through the letterbox anonymously. Uh, another family gave us 50 quid a month and, you know, for as long as we needed it. And it was, Actually, a real time of closeness to God. Sue and I went to the Cotswolds to pray and fast and try and figure out what God was saying. And we both felt that God was saying, wait. Um, mm-hmm. But having said that, in that situation, it seemed, well, wait, yes, but surely I can just push a few doors and see what happens. That seems reasonable. It's a very Christian thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> so I applied for a job and got offered this fabulous job. It was about a 40% pay rise, marketing manager in a much bigger company everything I could possibly want in terms of career trajectory. And Sue said, I'm not sure. And I was quite irritated. Well, obviously, this is the right step. I pushed the door, it's opened wide. And I said, I think slightly crossly, okay, God, you know, I've got 24 hours to decide, so you're going to have to tell me in my next Bible study. And the next Bible study was that passage in Matthew, what good is it if a man gains the whole world, yet forfeits Mm. his soul? And it that just really got to me. The company was a bit of a selling your soul kind right. of outfit. And uh, so I plucked up courage, phoned up for, for more time to decide. And then I pulled out and I didn't tell my parents because it was like, this is nuts. But I thought, well, I want to stay off the dole. So I bought an Amstrad PCW and wrote 10 letters, one of which was to World Vision. And they replied and said, yeah, we want to hire you uh, five days a week for a few months. And I said, great but let's do four days a week so i can find other customers and that was the beginning of a temporary business that actually lasted um, 25 years or so uh, and became a platform for a load of other things wow um you you alluded to um temptations in the workplace and and potentially you know stumbling spectacularly do you want to talk about that yeah i mean you know so 
it's easy to say, well, God dealt with money, sex and power, and then absolutely everything was fine. <laughs> but of course, uh, it's still an ongoing process. And we've talked about money and, and, you know, the moving beyond tithing as that became possible. And I think I realised now tithing was a bit of a kind of Roman cop out when, when uh, uh, Christianity became the state religion. Uh, sharing everything, having everything in common was just too radical. Mm. Um, and, um, and that kind of a new mindset so God's continuing to push me forward and in terms of um, sex well <laughs> I, I I remember hearing Care for the Family Rob Parsons talking about the need to stay faithful and saying what stuck in my mind was uh, having an affair is not when you jump into bed with someone actually it starts at the very beginning and that was a really useful lesson because there have been two or three times when very nice women um, uh, have really apparently really liked me, which is very flattering, uh, you know, when you're a middle-aged bloke. Um, mm. And and it's tempting. And I can remember picking up the phone and thinking, I'll just phone this person because I hadn't seen her at church for a while. I wonder if she's all right. And then realising that could be the beginning of a slippery slope. You know, what would happen as a result of that phone call? Maybe she'd say, oh, you know, come over a cup of coffee or whatever. Uh, and I put the phone down. It's so easy to, to make an apparently innocent decision, or you can convince yourself it's innocent, but behind that is is something else and the beginning of a slippery slope. So, um, yeah, you know, it's something you have to keep on your guard. And I've had for years an accountability partner with a transparent relationship or an accountability group so that uh, I can, you know, be open about those issues and, and be accountable to someone else and to keep on the straight and narrow. Yeah, so important, isn't it? We see an endless litany of spectacular car wrecks, car crashes of uh, high-profile people in the ministry, and, and, and if it's going to happen, if it can happen to them with an apparent massive influence and uh, anointing and gifting, then it can happen to any of us, can't it? It's oh, very absolutely. sobering. So, likewise, I'm always yeah. banging the drum on accountability. Glad yeah. you got that in place. Hey folks, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving the response we're getting from across the world. It's, it's just wonderful to see how encouraging and inspiring it is being and hitting the spot. Listen, if you are being blessed by it, I'd love it. Basically, this happens under the auspices of our ministry, Great Lakes Outreach, which works in the poorest and the hungriest country in the world, which is Burundi. We're having an incredible impact in the toughest of circumstances. We want to carry on supporting those local folks doing a great job. So if you wanted to, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired you could make a donation there i'd so appreciate it also it's word of mouth isn't it so gossip this these podcasts to other people get them to subscribe give us a great review absolutely wonderful so grateful to you so that's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired if you want to do a monthly a couple of quid a month or, or a one-off donation we'd be incredibly grateful all right now let's get back to the podcast So, you know, I picture you as a sort of a pioneer and adventurer. And I think the, the most exciting thing for me that you've been involved in, because I can, you know, I, we, we've done some business ventures in Burundi and it's so hard in where the rule of law and, and the rules of engagement in general are not the same and corruption is is a whole sort of different level to the West. Uh, tell us about the, the whole Bethlehem experience. 
Yeah, that came out of a guy who came to a lunch at church, uh, Salim, Salim Manaya, who ran a reconciliation ministry called Masalaha. Uh, he's Palestinian, married to a Brit, um, the lovely Kay from Bolton. Small world, because um, his, his son is a friend of ours. And when we went to uh, Israel, he took us into Bethlehem. And, you know, it was fascinating hearing it from a, a, a local and, you know, an Arab Christian's perspective, as all these tourists blasted past, you know, through without having to wait six hours to get in. Yeah. Yeah, it was very a interesting. Brilliant family. Yeah. And, mm. and, and great ministry and typically taking out an Israel, uh, Israelis and Palestinians, um, pairing uh, one Israeli, one Palestinian, up with a camel and trek, getting them trekking across the desert. So <laughs> camels are horrible things, and, and yes. one of them is riding it, one of them is leading it. So the camel kind of becomes the common enemy, and they get to know each other in the face of the common enemy. And as a result, they can then uh, share their political differences over the campfire later. Oh, but anyway, he, he arrived, uh, it must have been about 1994, Oslo, peace process, lots of exciting things happening. And I had a real heart for Palestine and the Middle East because of my connections there, that kind of cross-cultural childhood. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, what can I do as a business person? And I started this marketing consultancy business and actually other things had come out of that. And he said, oh, well, come on out. So I did, I, I, I went out, I visited 22 companies and um, all the chambers of commerce, including the one in Gaza, um, talked to lots of people, just asking what is it that I could do that would help? Mm. Um, and they all wanted help with exports. And so I managed to get a grant from the British consulate and bring some consultants out. And we helped companies in Bethlehem develop their exports. And the idea was then replicated in Hebron and Nablus and Gaza. But then everything went pear-shaped and um, the suicide bombings and bus bombings all happened. Hamas was elected. Yeah. Um, so it kind of came to an end. And and I was kind of wondering, so what was, what was that all about, God? Uh, then cut forward to um, 2004. 2004, both my parents died a few months apart. And, um, and it felt like a, a new era. And I went to New Wine, um, really deliberately saying to God, so what do you want me to do now? Um, mm -hmm. And I felt that he was saying, I've already told you, I've called you to Palestine. That's where you need to be. And at the same new wine, I messed up with Transformational Business Network, and they were about taking business people out to countries, uh, typically in Africa and Asia, um, to, to use their business skills to alleviate poverty. And so I joined TBN and took a group of business people out to Bethlehem. Um, to kind of start again, really. And we had lots of meetings in, in four days, 18 meetings in four days, people mm. from very different views um, uh, from, from both sides. And one of those meetings was with a guy called Nassim, who said, I've been waiting for people like you to come out, come back and I will organise uh, some guys uh, and women to, to meet up. Let's have a workshop to figure out how we could create robust jobs, jobs that will survive in peace or conflict, that would survive in a curfew, would survive in an intifada. Uh, that's what we need, 50% youth unemployment. Uh, that will be the source of hope, yeah. all of that stuff. So um, I came back February 2005 with a couple of business people, uh, you know, lovely different people. One of them is now a, a, a vicar and he was the kind of prayer person listening to what God was saying. Because I, I, you know, I'm an activist. I just want to get on with it and yeah. to have people like that around me. And Nassim's 
big idea was to set up a call centre, which kind of is not exactly what you think of as, you know, it's not probably the first thing you thought of in Burundi mm-hmm. as the need. But Bethlehem has lots of international schools because of its status in, in Christianity. People speak good English, uh, they're mostly bilingual and other languages. And we were looking for an invisible export, something that couldn't be stopped by the wall. Um, uh, You know, perishable goods get stopped and and rot and and breakable goods like ceramics get chucked into containers and broken for security reasons and all of that. So so that was the, the plan. And the only thing was, Nassim and I knew nothing about call centres at all. So um, we started to explore it with an Israeli, uh, actually quite a remarkable connection with an Israeli call centre company, opening to open to a partnership. But ultimately that that fell apart really for political reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, again, you know, so what are you saying, God? And there's another gap. You know, things don't happen as fast as, you know, activists like, like you and I want them mm-hmm. to happen. I'm sure you've experienced that. Uh, so um, anyway, I ended up leading a Transformational Business Network for various reasons and organising a conference in Dubai. And I met a guy there who was running an American Christian, running the Gulf Bank call centre in Kuwait. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Um, do you want to meet my mate in Bethlehem? And amazingly, he came over. We met in a restaurant in Bethlehem. And through that, we then started to seriously develop it. Um, I applied for a grant for via my UK company with the Dutch government, their PSI it's called, mm-hmm. um, they were going to provide 60% of uh, the capital costs. And I can remember, cut forward to a phone call from this guy in Holland who told me, uh, really good news, you've got this grant. And on the phone I said, oh, that's brilliant, really good news, <laughs> I'm really excited by that. But in my heart yeah, I was thinking, I oh, imagine. heck, um, you know, suddenly this this happy talk, uh, which, which I can impress people with, is actually going to have to, I'm going to have to put some serious money in myself. And we're talking mm. tens of thousands of pounds. Um, well, anyway, we put, the three of us put in some some money, uh, borrowed a load of money, and we had this uh, grant, about $100,000 or so from the Dutch government, and built this 88-seat call centre. Um, the team worked so hard building this thing. It is, as you kind of alluded to, it's so easy setting up a company in the UK. You go online, you pay 30 quid and, and, and it's done. Uh, it's much more complicated in Palestine. And things like you, you can't just buy an office building. You, you, you tend to buy shells or rent shells and then you have to do it up. And, you know, we had to have you know, the risk analysis. It was not like anyone in the UK. Yeah. Um, you know, we had fibre optic and backup microwave internet connections, generators, backup generators, miles and miles of Cat6 cabling. Um, and then the big issue is it's the chicken and egg problem. So do you get guarantees of work from customers and then build a centre? Or do you build a centre and hope you get the customers? which is what we eventually did. And we had a, I mean, it had a great cash flow. It was all going to work brilliantly, except that we didn't get the sales targets that we were hoping to get. And we were losing $10,000, $15,000 a month. We employed the first 20 people in it was April 2012 and trained them up. We were ready to go. But the big contract was always two weeks ago. For months and months, it was always two weeks away. Mm. So... Um, uh, we were losing a load of money um, and should by rights have gone bust in uh, early 2013. And I was traipsing around Ramada trying to find um, 
um, a venture capitalist. And, and I think it was only, you know, it, it was God, you know, I was kind of praying, Amen. God, what, 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 you know, this, your glory is at stake. Everyone knows it's set up by three Christians. Um, mm. um, and, and amazingly, a VC company stepped in, a company that wanted to create jobs, and they provided the money we needed to bring in a senior management team and really get the thing going. And everything started to fall in together. It's still two or three years before we made it profits, but... Um, all these years on, we've got 155 staff. It's profitable. Wonderful. We've grown a software unit as well, so it's not just the call center. We do things differently from um, from normal, you know, call centers in, in Bangladesh in terms of staff relations and barbecues. Yeah. Uh, we pay above the average salary. It's an impact business. So the yeah. prime purpose was to create jobs and skills and. Um, uh, relationships across the divide and model integrity and gender equality. Mm. The first CEO was a, was a woman, a lovely woman, who then did an MBA in Switzerland. So um, I can't take the glory. I think that was what it was all about, really. I can't. Jerry, you can't take the glory for this. This is God. Um, Amen. Uh, if you'd been in charge, it would have gone bust. Um, so uh, very much God's yes. glory. And we're now, you know, next stage, get to a thousand staff. So um, it's an ongoing oh, journey. Jerry. So wonderful. You know, I mean, you, you, you say 155 staff and that could be a statistic, but I know from my context, you know, when we did our conference center and it's 53 staff, that was 53 husbands or wives, dads mm. or mothers with their four, five, six kids to feed. And that job enables them to go to school, to pay their rent, to be secure, to have peace. Uh, and it, you just the ripple effects of yeah. job creation is just massive. And I, I know you know you've well you've given us a, a de- decent level of detail there. There's some, the the levels of of uh, sort of hassle you've been through and just hang on in there. And ultimately, yeah, God having to bail you out. And that's that's it, isn't it? It's all for His glory. It's just yeah. wonderful. So I just absolutely. And you're right. It has an impact beyond the employees, uh, all that kind of wider family, and actually beyond. You know, that people do amazingly they do leave and move to other companies but they come to other companies with a better understanding of english a better understanding of sort of western concepts of customer care and all sorts of benefits for the broader economy Uh, yeah it's been been an amazing amazing ride john piper has this line uh, about retirement he says uh, don't think about coasting in self-indulgence from retirement to the grave now, uh, does that appeal to you, coasting and self-indulgence? What's, what's your what's your retirement looking at right now? Uh, uh, well, I tried that for a little bit, um, a few mm-hmm. weeks, um, maybe a few months. I'm not sure I was entirely coasting, but I got bored of that. And uh, so, um, I, I, you know, I've set up a number of, uh, there was also an inner city thing in Coventry and some other businesses. Uh, I like I like setting up new things. My little bit of the jigsaw is kind of give me a, blank sheet of paper and a vision to buy into and I'll make it happen. Mm. That's what I really enjoy doing. And typically after a few years, I kind of get bored. So I set up a technology company and year three, we brought in someone else to be a CEO. We gave him a third of the business and said, right, you, you know, you take charge and managed to work my way out of that. And that also gave me the finances to retire and to work without needing payment. So that's opened lots of doors, which is mm-hmm. brilliant. So the latest venture has been um, something called Transformational Enterprise Network, which is kind of TBN, the earlier thing, Mark II, uh, with TBN's encouragement that's been mothballed in the UK. Mm-hmm. So trying to create a community of Christians 
who want to use their skills to alleviate poverty in a way that's sustainable. And so we're doing some some fun things in, in Uganda, picked up a young, enthusiastic Christian entrepreneur who probably didn't have the wherewithal to, to contact the larger agencies. You know, we could take a punt and provide financial mentoring and business training for he's running a vocational training thing. So we've, we've got business trainers to come in and train them mm-hmm. um, to set up businesses. Uh, just yesterday, I was looking through uh, the four business plans that come through our weeding out process from eight to four. And we've got a funder who's prepared to provide small loans to enable these small businesses in the poorest part of Africa to yeah. um, to, to start and to bring, begin to take people on. So So that's been fun. And, you know, there are lots of other areas where um, over the years I've I've had an involvement. I love combining different things. I don't know, you've probably had experience of that in Burundi and the, the breadth of your your stuff. But, you know, entrepreneurship and church leadership, you know, yeah. great combination. Uh, how can we really fulfill the Great Commission without entrepreneurial skills and risk-taking within that mix? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the church has become, the institutional church has become very risk averse yeah and, and to some extent you know that's understandable and, and I'm, I'm not complaining about safeguarding obviously we have to have that and all of that but hey you know the church in acts was such a risk-taking church uh and we've lost that so there needs to be someone in the mix saying hey let's do it let's move forward yeah so yeah that's part of my part of my mission hidden mission <laughs> And you mentioned you, a few times uh, your affinity for sailing. Um, <laughs> yes. You've had some sort of high-risk ventures there, haven't you? Oh, I love sailing. Sailing is such a great way to um, completely get away, to, to be refreshed and to, to get to know people. I've taken loads of people out. I used to organise church groups with up to three boats and 30 people crossing the channel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, uh, actually anything in boats and now we live by the river and we've got as you know the narrow boat um, and uh, and that's a guest room and people can come and stay so yeah it's also been a great learning experience sailing a sinking boat across the channel was was uh, a fun experience but i think the um there are some analogies in sailing which which i find helpful uh, one is you know the rudder the thing you steer with at the back uh, that only works when you're moving forward and for me, um, I find I hear God best when I'm beginning to move forward. I can feel his steer. And I'm not sure there's any theological backing for that. But but rather than just wait while anchored, mm-hmm. push forward and see what God is saying. Um, but also I had a, a really um, um, extraordinary experience quite early in, in my married life, uh, which I think is a picture of being... A Christian, which might be a good story to tell. I had chartered a, a Sadler 26, which is a 26 foot, a pretty small sailing boat with a twin keel, which is significant because they don't go upwind quite so well. And we had a, a young couple, and me and Sue, Sue was expecting first child, and we sailed from Falmouth to the Isles of Scilly, had a brilliant holiday in the Isles of Scilly, and then we needed to head back, but the wind was against us and it was strong and there was a massive, um, you know, the waves were kind of about halfway up the mast or so on. Um, so uh, because the wind was against us, we weren't making very good progress. Uh, it was behind the schedule. We missed the tides. We were fighting against the tide and we ended up sailing all night. 
And because Sue was pregnant and the others were seasick, I was at the helm the whole night, so I couldn't plot my position. So basically I was lost in the English Channel uh, in some fairly rocky waters. Uh, There's some very nasty rocks called the Manacles, a mile off the Lizard Peninsula, graveyards of many ships. But it was a very kind of spiritual experience. And and I can remember thinking uh, and praying, Lord, the wind is so strong, I'm worried that the mast will come down. You know, please, can you bring the wind down a bit? And it kind of did. And then it dropped so much, we weren't powering through the waves. And I was praying, Lord, actually, I could do with a little bit more wind to take Mm -hmm. us through these oncoming Mm -hmm. waves. And that happened uh, about three times um, in the early part of the night. And it was just weird. Is this really happening? And then at one o'clock in the morning, I felt this really clear message come into my brain, go on to nought degrees magnetic, due north magnetic now. And it was was so kind of clear um, that I did. I tacked around due north. And then... That makes sense. That makes no sense, does it? In general, no, absolutely. No, I mean, uh, crazy. I mean, that's putting people's lives at risk. But I just sensed God. Well, strongly sensed God was was in that. And a few hours later, as it started to become light, it's probably about five in the morning. Sue came out of the cabin, and I hadn't noticed. She said, "Oh, what's that boy over there?" There was a marker boy, hmm. and we were about a mile outside the outer manacles marker, exactly where you'd be in perfect conditions, wow. clear of the manacles rocks. <laughs> And in those days, you know, this is before GPS, um, dead reckoning in, in strong tides is, is, is difficult to be accurate. And when you see your final destination, always you changed course to the final destination. Mm. But on this case, I just kept steering that. I could see a Falmouth light and I kept steering this due north magnetic. And that course took us right through the middle of Falmouth Harbour. And for mm-hmm. me, that seems to be uh, not just an amazing miracle, but uh, and a relief. But, but actually, that seems to me what Christian life is about. You know, if we listen to God, then he will keep us off the rocks and get us into safe harbour. And it's like, you know, being a Christian, I, I, te- I help to teach people sailing and they're on the helm and I'm standing behind them just out of their line of sight, yeah. quietly saying actually a bit more to starboard or whatever. And I, th- I feel that's like, you know, as a Christian, I'm there at the helm. I'm... I could take the boat in any direction I want. Um, you know, I, I can change the direction of my life if I want to. But Jesus is there just out of my line of sight, gently saying, you know, Jerry, there are shoal waters to port, a bit more to starboard. Uh, and if I can listen and plug into him, then I will stay off the rocks and uh, head in the right direction. So that, that's my kind of picture of what faith is all about. Mm, that's really helpful. So coming into land you know you're an old as a seasoned sailor looking back you know what what sort of advice would you give your younger self i think um a good question yes so many things i wish i'd known when i started out but i suppose my summary would be connect to god secondly connect to others i don't think i really got this diverse thinking it doesn't matter if you're not very smart if you're surrounded by people Mm. with different frames of reference coming at it in different directions then as a group you are really smart and uh, and that's where real breakthroughs happen mm-hmm. um, and exciting things happen and and thirdly take a risk and um, you know there was a survey apparently years ago of, of older people saying well, you know what do they regret and the most common answer was I wish I'd taken more risk in my life people get into you know nice stable jobs good pensions and they never do what they really wanted to do or perhaps what god is calling them to do so um take more risk it's fun you can have an adventure amen anyone listening there 
<laughs> you're listening right now and uh, is God saying come on what's the risk what's the adventure you should be going on with me and there are plenty of people who say no and those who say no are rewarded by the safety of existing whereas those who say yes are rewarded by the adventure of living I don't know who I'm quoting there but uh, I've used that before <laughs> anyway listen time's up um, Jerry but uh, just a few things you want to plug yeah in. Uh, so yeah there's uh, travels with an inflatable elephant which is partly about uh, <laughs> fighting name. HS2 unsuccessfully but great fun arguing with Pete Waterman on uh, BBC Breakfast uh -huh. um, then I'd, I've written, well, I've rewritten a couple of times a business startup course. So if you really would like to start your own business, small business, or you'd like to help other people in your church or your group to set up your own business, there's a free resource um, at mindyourownbusiness.uk, free workbook you can work through, get around the table with a couple of friends and work through section two of the workbook. 10 sections and uh, figure out what business to start and whether it's going to be viable before you actually put money into it. So mindyourownbusiness.uk. And if you're interested in being part of a community with an accountability group and using your business skills to fight poverty, then take a look at 10community.net, T-E-N community.net. I would love business folks, those wired that way, to be listening right now and want to engage with transformational um, enterprise network so 10.net do uh, get in touch with jerry through that listen jerry it's been an absolute pleasure thanks so much brilliant lovely to be with you and uh, everybody i hope you enjoyed it i hope you've been inspired i've been inspired and uh, next week we're gonna have another fantastic guest so do uh, join us again in the meantime can you spread the word can you give us a great review on on itunes wherever you listen to this if you want to be in touch with me it's simongilbert.com or any of the social media platforms and uh, we will see you next week all right toodaloo <laughs>